0: This week, I want to look at a story in more in particular when we do have the opportunity to forgive and to reconcile. Say the word reconcile with me. Say it one more time. Reconcile? Like you mean it. Reconcile, by definition, means restored friendships. In fact, the Bible talks about our own relationships with one another. And as many of you know... We are called to love one another, and that's one of the greatest testimonies to the world out there, that the way we love one another, whether we're getting along or not, is a testimony to the way that God works amongst us. And it's the same thing when it comes to forgiveness, when it comes to disputes. It's not if we have disputes. It's not like the rest of the world has all these issues, and we don't. But what it says is that we handle our issues differently and by the way that we handle the issues that are in front of us testifies to the world who Jesus is. Now, we probably have seen a lot of disputes not handled well in the world around us. Amen? Oh, amen? Amen. Amen. It doesn't take that far to see that people aren't necessarily getting along in the world. Amen? And yet, what God has equipped us to do in this thing called reconciling and reconciliation is that through Jesus you can not only mend this relationship but you can mend these relationships around you not only from the heart but you can literally mend friendships that have been broken relationships that have been hurt by something that's happened even after you've known Jesus and in fact the Bible would go as far as to say that being a believer in Jesus is having the ministry of of reconciliation. It's our duty. And it's something that God has equipped us and even calls us by name, that we're people that reconcile, that we restore the relationships with the people around us. Jesus would say it's so serious that, in fact, when you come to worship him, that if you know someone has something against you, that you are to stop, don't worship, don't offer any sacrifices, and go and figure out that dispute with that person. Then come and worship. What that speaks to me is this, that Jesus says before you even come to church, before you even come before in worship, before you dive into the word, that if there's something that you hold between a person in your life, or there's a break, there's a dispute going on, that it's important enough to fix before you enter into worship, because fixing that is worship. Amen? Fixing and reconciling is the greatest worship we could offer to God, because that's his mission for us as well. It's not just a matter of, well, if we have disputes, it's when we have disputes. So this morning, I want to look at a passage in Matthew 18 with you guys. It starts in verse 15. It's interesting because Jesus is actually talking to his own disciples about this. He's not saying, well, when you have this with the world around you, he's saying, no, amongst you guys, you guys as Christians have disputes. This is how you are to handle it. I want you guys to read with me in verse 15, and it says, Jesus says, If your brother or sister sins against you, go point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, Treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Can you say amen with me? Scott's word. This is an interesting passage from Jesus because he gives step-by-step instructions. This is the Jesus model to forgiving and reconciling. Amen? Jesus doesn't just say it in theory, but he says, no, this is what you're supposed to do practically. And we're going to look at it this morning step-by-step, but... One of the things I want to look at, even heading into this text, it's very important to understand is that this is not a passage about being right, and this is not a passage about proving yourself right to other people around you. This is a passage about reconciliation. This is a passage about unity. This is a passage about two broken parties becoming one no matter who was wrong or both parties are wrong. I want to ask you guys to do something. Just, you can yell it out. In chapter 18 of Matthew, there's a couple other stories in there. Um, If you look at your Bible, it probably has a little heading over the certain chapters. Mine in the NIV says, dealing with sin in the church is one of them. Now, there are four other stories that are in the book of Matthew 18. Can someone just yell out to me the other ones? Just look at your Bible, and if you see one. You're like, oh, this is what it says. Can someone just yell it out? Don't be afraid. Don't be self-conscious. Just let your voice ring. (laughs) So far, so good. (laughs) All right. What does it say? Someone. Come on. Can someone. What are the titles in Matthew 18? Someone over here. Come on. Come on. The greatest in the kingdom of God. Thank you so much, Maggie. Can I get someone from this section here? Thank you. What were you saying, Jesse? Causing to stumble, there is one more. Can I get someone from the back? We go into the back. Thanks, Aaron. You're welcome, Jeff. All right. Now, I want you to think about something for a quick minute. Before we dive into this text, here are the stories that are surrounding Jesus giving instructions how to settle disputes among us. Jesus tells a story about, you want to be the greatest in the kingdom? You got to be like a servant. You got to be like a child to other people and lay down your life for those that are around you. You are to die for the people around you because you love them so, so much. You're to lay down your pride for the sake of them. You're to lay down your life and your gain for the sake of lifting up other people. Tells a story about causing to stumble. What Jesus says, you know, there's a lot of things that cause sin in the world— But don't cause other people to sin. Live your life in such a way that you're allowing people to live in the fullness of God. He even says, if you're causing people to stumble, that it would be better for you to be tied to a boulder at the bottom of the sea. It says, don't get in the way of causing anybody to stumble in their faith or in their life. But ultimately, the opposite of it, help others to pursue God fully with your life. Tells the parable of the wandering sheep. Many of us know this story. There's a hundred sheep that a shepherd is over, and one of them wanders off. And instead of going, ah, we still got 99, it says that the shepherd goes after and risks his own life to save it and carried it back. Don't leave anyone behind. In fact, Jesus would say there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that comes back than 99 who need not to. And then the last story is the parable of the unmerciful servant. Which is a story of forgiveness from your own heart where Jesus says there's no reason why you shouldn't forgive other people from your heart given the absorbent amount of grace and mercy Jesus has poured out on you. So I want you to think about this for one minute this morning. What is the heart of Jesus? It's loving people. It's laying down your life for the people around you. It's not about being right when it comes to disputes. But it's about reconciling with each other, doing everything in your power to lay down your life, to step out of the way, to allow people to live in it. It's working together. I want to look at um, this step by step. And so if you want to follow along in your Bible, I put together five points this morning if you're taking notes. And the first one is this. Very right there in the beginning when it says, if a brother or sister sins against you. And the first question I would just ask is this. Did they sin against you? You know, for me, whenever I read this story, it's easy for me to skip this part and get right to the, well, I need to talk to them directly. But you know, Jesus is a genius in this regard, that he says, if they sin against you, did they sin against you? Think about that for a minute. That something has to be established that someone sinned against you, and that, that needs to be understood before you can go forward and talk to someone else. Sometimes in life, when you are hurt by someone or you feel pain from something someone else did, it isn't because they sinned against you. I know that in my own life, that sometimes when people hurt me or I feel hurt in my life, that I immediately want to look at that person. I want to look at what they did to me. But what if it was something going on in my own heart? What if it was something I had to figure out in my own life? Rather than them sinning against me. What if they, by their actions, just exposed something in my own life that I needed to deal with with the Lord? I had a friend of mine um, back in college um, who's was a part of the church. Um, he's an awesome guy. He really, really valued having dudes as friends. He really valued having brothers in the church. Um, he was someone who actually grew up without a father. And so that was a part of his life that really was. He found a lot of male affirmation in that. But even by his own admission, there were many times in his life where it was an unhealthy affirmation that he was looking for in men. He was looking for an affirmation of brothers in his life that only the Father in heaven could provide. And I remember this one time in college. He had a friend of his who actually had a, he got a girlfriend. They ended up getting married. And he was so upset at the friend because he felt like he didn't have enough time for him. It's like, you've, you've forsaken our friendship and you don't have time for me. But the more that he walked it out with the Lord, the more he realized, wait a minute, he didn't do anything wrong to me. This is something that's being exposed in my life that I have to deal with with the Lord. And the one thing that he'll admit about that too is that he shouldn't have gone to that person before he brought it to Jesus first. Amen? Sometimes in life, the things that happen to us expose certain weaknesses and insecurities that get brought to the surface when things happen. See, it can be easy to go, well, it's just between, it's between people. But you know what? The place to find healing is understanding that a lot of the things that happen are between you and God in your own heart. I know I've been there. and I know many of you guys have been there. That's why it's so important, first and foremost, to look at God's wisdom. Look at God's word. If you need help seeking trusted counsel and wisdom and leadership to say, I'm feeling this in my heart. Now, what it continues on to say is that, and then right after that, if a brother or sister sins against you, so, so let's say for example, you've established, you know what, they did sin against me. Biblically, they sinned against me. I know they sinned against me. It says, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Who else is involved in this thing? Actually, um, in my boring free time, decided to write down 10 uh, different translations of that part where it says just between the two of you. So I'm just going to read them really fast. Holly's going to go through them on the screen. Pray for Holly. She's good. But what it says is this. I just want you guys to hear this. Just between the two of you in the NLT, go privately and point out the offense In the ESV, go and tell him his fault. "...between you and him alone. Go and confront him privately. Go and show him his fault in private. Go and show him his fault when the two of you are alone. Go show him his fault between you and him alone. Reprove him between you and him alone. Go confront him when the two of you are alone. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone." How many people are involved in this thing? There are two people involved. Amen? Can I get a a louder amen? That's a big one because this is where a lot of disputes crumble to the ground right here. If you know that a brother or a sister has sinned against you, you are to go to that person and to talk to them privately and resolve it privately. You don't go to your friends, all right? You don't go to the people around the situation, but you go straight to that person. What ends up happening when you go to that person, you go, look at what they did to me. I can't believe they did this to me. That's called gossip. That's called slander. And that is called misleading a situation to other people as well. See, this is an important one to understand because this is where things can go south. Gossip can really intoxicate a dispute. And most times when disputes happen, It's not the dispute that necessarily breaks a friendship. It's the things that happen, like the gossip, like the slander, like the non-covering of people and the unlove that ends up breaking it. This is why it's so important in that moment to go straight to that person. In fact, there's a church in California. Many of you guys know it's called Bethel. But one of the things that they do actually in their church, it's kind of a little rule that they have is that if someone begins to talk about someone else, about something that they have not talked to, they do this. Everybody do it with me, a hand bounce. Come on, do it with me. And they go, stop. Don't talk to me about it. You're not supposed to talk to me about it. You need to talk to that person. And to clarify, that's not saying if something happens to you that you just have to be quiet and figure it out yourself. If you need help figuring out something, or even how to talk to that person, there's a way that, one, approach wise counsel, amen? Parents, leaders, pastors, people who you trust in your life, someone that you can confide in. If you're going, well, you know, I'm going to go to all my friends that we're friends with and seek advice, that's not covering that friend very well. In fact, a lot of times... Gossip, people don't necessarily maliciously gossip like they're going to go, oh, I'm going to go to my friends and I'm going to blow him up, all right? People don't normally do that. If they do, that's also wrong. But did you know that sometimes gossip is inadvertent? It can come from a, a heart that's hurt. It can come from a place of feeling like I just need help. In fact, there was a study done in 2009. This guy named Dr. Elmer, nice name. Um, who did a study of 300 people who agreed to be mic'd up for a period of time, and the, the doctor listened to their words, and then he categorized them by the certain subject. And so he wanted to see how much people gossiped without even knowing it. And so he categorized gossip about talking about someone negatively when they weren't there. Guess what percentage overall he found were the words of gossip in a person's life? 80% of the words that they said. Four out of every five words, were do not you are not you just like, oh, I just don't want to talk anymore? Because it happens a lot more than you really think. And that's why it's so important to really take into consideration what you are saying, especially when you're in a situation where you know someone has sinned against you, and it's in your power, and it, now it's in your hand to go to them. It's on you to go and reconcile with them. And again, here is the heart of it. It's not just shame on you gossip. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is this. This is the heart of it. You see, how many times in prayer have you like prayed and then God revealed the sin of your friends? They're like, God's like, guess what? Look at what this person did. And you're like, no, like, I don't want to hear that. How many times has God gossiped on us or told our sins to other people? Never. Want to know why? Because he covers us. God wants to address the things that are happening in our lives. God wants to heal us. But God also knows how to cover us as well. Say the word cover with me. In fact, covering other people is an aspect of love. In 1 Corinthians 3.7, it talks about love. And it's describing its characteristics. And it says, love always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. And it always perseveres. It always protects people. Now, that's not saying that you just keep unhealthy secrets. That's not what I'm saying in this. What it's saying is this. You don't exploit, and you don't shame, and you don't slander friends. God doesn't do that to us, to the people around us, nor are we to do it to other people as well. Because we're called to reconcile the relationship that we have with that person, but we're also called to protect the relationships that they have with other people as well. Amen? In fact, there's a story in the Bible Noah gets off of the ark after the flood. Now might I remind you, Noah is the guy and his family that God said you were righteous enough to be saved from the flooding in the world. He gets off of the ark. Noah plants a vineyard, gets drunk, and passes out naked in his tent. Ew. All right? And what it says is that one of Noah's sons, this poor kid, he walks in and he sees his dad like that. And what it says is that he then goes to the other sons and the rest of the family, and he's like, you will not believe what my dad did. And the other two sons hear that, and they immediately go to the tent. They take a cover. They cover him. And what it says in the word, too, is that they turn their head as to not disgrace their father, and they covered him. They weren't excusing his behavior, but they were covering and protecting him. And what it says is that God blessed those two sons because they chose to cover They didn't choose to gossip. They didn't choose to exploit. But the word says that that first son was cursed because of that. I think when you live in a life of gossip, when you're quick to exploit people, you'll be running from that very same thing approaching you as well. When you're a blessing to others, what the word says is he who refreshes others will be refreshed. And that's what we get to do when we cover other people as well. I think it's so important to consider even just our own heart's through that. There's a a quote that says that gossip stops in the ears of wise men, that we ourselves don't just not gossip, but if we hear gossip ourselves, that immediately we put an end to it, and we say, you need to talk to that person, and it hits a dead end. We stop gossip, and ultimately in the same way, we protect. Remember the heart of forgiveness. We're for unity and restoring relationship, and not going to a person when they've sinned against you works against that. We're for covering people even in their sin. And sin is not a reason to gossip or to slander anyone. Amen? Even when it's you that's been hurt by it. The third point of this is when it says after that. So let's just assume, you know, you know they've sinned against you. You approach them and it didn't go well. All right. And they didn't agree. You guys now the dispute is taken to another level because now you've talked about it, but you guys don't agree. What it says is this. It says, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Is this fair? This is what it doesn't say. It doesn't say. When you have a dispute with someone that you need to bring two or three of your homies who got your back, who are going to stand up for you, and they're going to put that person in their place, and they're going to show them what's wrong. Yeah, you need to bring people along. That way they know what they're wrong about. You want to know what it says? In fact, that's a quote in the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy. When God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, he gave them a bunch of laws to live righteously. And one of them was that, Every matter had to be established by two or three witnesses. That way people couldn't falsely accuse one another. And in the same way, what it says here is that Jesus says that if you're having a dispute between someone, have mediators who can help you figure it out. They don't play favorites, okay? But they're people that help you figure it out. Amen? How many of you want friends in your life that are not going to be playing favorites and let you do whatever you want? Those are some of the most valuable things that you could have in your life. I hope and I pray that you guys have friends in your life that when you're like, gosh, I can't believe this person, can you? And they're like, you know what? I actually can. You're wrong in this. Those are valuable people to have in your lives. And those are people that you get to decide and make room for in your own lives. Who are the people in your life that if you're having a dispute between someone that could look at you and just say, you know what, you're wrong in this. And you need to apologize, not the other way around. See, God loves us, but God doesn't play favorites. God loves us, but God is honest and fair enough to, be, to love us. He loves us enough to be honest with us about those things. Does that make sense? That's a good God that we serve, and that's a loving God that we get to serve. And even in that, I would go as far as to say this. Wouldn't you rather be wrong in a situation by the truth of something than be right by a lie of it? Wouldn't you rather get to the truth of it and to the actual truth of it and find out, you know what, I was actually the wrong one, but at least I know the truth, and the truth is the most important thing. You know, it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 6, the verse right before the last one, it says, Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. We rejoice in finding the truth in things, even if we're the wrong party, and this is why. Because there's forgiveness. There's grace in that, even in our own mistakes to that point. That's why it's so important to bring people to mediate and help us understand whether or not we're right or not. And then from there, it continues on. I want to look at number four where it says, tell it to the church. And I would just even say, that at this point, if you're, like, having a full-on dispute with someone, and this happens. Let's say, for example, you know in your heart, like, and you know from the word and from wisdom, wherever you got it, that it's wrong. You've talked to them. You couldn't settle it. You brought mediators, and they still wouldn't admit. They said, you know what? You're, you're right in this situation. They need to apologize. And they said no. At this point, it's not about right and wrong. You've been established as right. Good. Good. But at this point, this is about restoration. This is about saving that person who has hurt you or is living in sin and is not admitting it and continuing to go down that way. How many of you have ever heard the quote that whenever you see a runaway car in your back windshield or in your rearview mirror, you're only thinking about it hitting yourself. But when you see it in front, you think about where it's going to end. What it means is this. That sometimes when people hurt us or on pace of hurting us, we can think about how it affects us. But the minute it gets by that situation, you realize they're living destructively. They're on a one-way ticket to destruction by the way that they're living. And now it's on us to bring them back. What Jesus isn't saying here is that tell it to the church like, all right, good morning, church. Today's sin's from, you know, like that's not what he's saying in that. What he's saying is that Don't spare anyone when it comes to reaching out and keeping someone from falling away, amen? Parable of the wandering sheep, don't spare any expense to reach out. My hope and my prayer for myself and for the body of Christ for us is that if someone were to fall away from the Lord, that they'd have to go through each and every one of you, amen? If you have someone in your life that you know is falling away from the Lord and they're not listening You're the one to reach out to them. We're the church that gets to appeal to them and to reach out. Spare no one in the church to reach out. That's not just something on one particular person or a leader or not, but it's on everyone here. That's the beauty. Don't you want friends in your life that if you're falling away from the Lord, they'll reach out to you and they'll offer refuge to you. They'll be honest with you and they'll ultimately carry you back. We're a family, and we fight for everyone and for reconciliation. But then what it says after that, so let's say you get all the way to that point. Whole church is reaching someone, and they just refuse, refuse to reconcile or to be a part, and they leave in that. Then it says, after that, it says, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Can I ask you guys something? How did Jesus treat tax collectors? How did Jesus treat pagans? Well, when you look at the Word of God, when Jesus approached tax collectors, he made a full-on invitation for them. He ate at their tables. In fact, he was faulted for spending too much time with them. When he initially met them, they weren't necessarily a part of the kingdom of God, but they were definitely the first people that Jesus went after to bring into the kingdom of God. What you don't see is this. You don't see exclusion. Well, no one's going to talk to him anymore. Because of how badly they've been acting and that they fell away. You're done. You're done with any contact or communication. No. In fact, it seems like, you know what? You've made the decision for yourself to fall away. But we love you. We're going to do everything in our power. We're going to pray for you. We're going to love. And we're going to continue to offer an arm to you. We're going to make you reject us day after day. Because we love you. And we want to see you come back to the Lord. That is love. And that is Jesus. Jesus. And his love for us. I'm going to invite Lane and the team back up. But I'm also going to invite Ricky back up to lead us um, just in a response this morning. So I'm going to ask you guys, put away your phones. Put away your Bibles. um, And let's give it up for Ricky as well. He's a pretty cool guy.
1: Hey, guys. So I like what Jeff kept saying about... um, God being a God of reconciliation and about um, bringing us back together. That's why Jesus came, was to reconcile us with him. And as Christ followers, we we are about reconciliation as well. And to think about this whole process that Jesus was teaching, um, is that it's so contradictory to what we see in the world, to what I've seen in the world. I'm sure you guys see this all the time in school. Um, someone will hurt someone else, and it gets all around the school. Everybody knows about it. Whoever was hurt is saying bad things they're slandering gossiping like Jeff was talking about against that person sides are picked people are fighting with each other over it uh, which is the complete opposite of what God tells us to do in fact like if we look in uh, John 13, 35, 34 and 35 Jesus says I give you a new command love one another just as I have loved you you must also love one another by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another you want someone to know that you're a Christian, if you want your friends in school to know that you're a Christian, the first way they're going to recognize that is by the way you forgive others, the way you reconcile in a healthy way, by going to that person, talking to them only, and not spreading it all over the school, right? Um, We've got a couple of questions that we're going to look at, and I want you guys to discuss with two or three friends, um, just about this process. The first one is, what do you think of Jesus' model for reconciliation? What would you do if you needed to reconcile? Have you ever had to and when? Go ahead and split up and talk with your friends.